Welcome to Spark.Grow, a series of conversations on topics that are critical to companies and people that want to grow, scale, and maintain their performance. Spark.Grow is brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark and hosted by Dave Haviland, the founder of Fimation based in Ann Arbor. This conversation was recorded in the podcast studios of the Ann Arbor District Library. Now we'll turn it over to Dave Haviland for this conversation. Hi, this is Dave Haviland with the Spark.Grow podcast. We are back again at the Ann Arbor District Library downtown uh, in the recording studio, which uh, is going to be redone soon. Can't wait to see that. Um, but the last guest in this iteration of the studio is Greg Hammerman of Larky. Welcome. Hi, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be here. Uh, it's hard for me to jump right into business without first talking a little bit about hockey, since that's how we know each other. <laughs> And I spend a fair amount of time thinking about the overlap between hockey and business. That doesn't mean that you do, um, but I guess that's the first question. So, um, can like, uh, has hockey influenced your business at all? Do you have? Do you think of any linkages between those two? Ooh, that's an, I, you didn't prepare me for that question. Yeah, I no, gotta be I honest. Didn't. Uh, so I played hockey. I started playing hockey when I was in fourth grade oh. in Grand Rapids, growing up. And when I became an adult and living in Ann Arbor, I wanted to play hockey again. And it took me a while to find a team that was the right match, but the team that we played for together mm-hmm. was a great match because it was really all business people. Right. There were right. all there were entrepreneurs or people that were working for early stage companies. There were investors, and I like playing hockey, mm-hmm. but I love hanging out with people. And the mm-hmm. conversations in the locker room were kind of hilarious because right, right. it wasn't ab- all about hockey things. It was about like <laughs> financing and buying a company and selling yeah. a company and a new business deal and. I couldn't help but think from time to time, I, I bet we're the only locker room that's having this conversation <laughs> right now. So I, I don't know that I took much league. out of hockey. Yeah, right, <laughs> the right. beer league hockey. Mm-hmm. But it, it was always very enjoyable to me to have those conversations yeah. in the locker room. Um, and what did you like about hockey? Uh, I liked that it was just something very different than the rest of my day. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have a software company in town. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sitting at a desk and pushing a lot of buttons and things that happen on screen is very different than physically moving around right. and trying to use your hands and use your legs and use your skills to make something happen in the real world. So that was a good thing. And there's a certain great feeling of breathing hard and exerting mm-hmm. yourself in that way that's not what my normal day job is. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, too good a segue for me to leave it alone. So tell me about the software company. Uh, software company is called Larky. I am founder and CEO, and we are not today what we were. If people are listening, they may think, oh, I heard about Larky five years ago. And like many other companies, we've learned and shifted. And mm. what we are today is we are really a development toolkit that can plug into any mobile app and give that app a really easy way to use location to tailor their communications. So that sounds sort of vague, but it's always easier with a real world example. So like we work with a credit union in North Carolina that sponsors, they have the naming rights for a music venue. It's their credit union's music venue. And they have a thing where if you're a member of the credit union, you don't have to wait in line. If you've got a ticket, you can just walk right up. It's a really cool thing. And so they used our location technology. So when one of their members who has their mobile banking app walks up to it, it pops up and says, hey, thanks for being here. Walk right in the front door. Mm -hmm. So they're no longer counting on people to remember or to see a sign somewhere. And that's just one of the ways we sort of help increase those relationships with those folks. What was the process of pivoting? Was it was it there one pivot? Were there multiple pivots? There were many pivots <laughs> along the way. Uh, when we first started, the, the thing, maybe it's easier to talk for a second about what hasn't changed. Uh. I had a fascination with the idea that we all have mobile phones on us at all times, and there could be a convenience to the right message being presented to us at the right time and place. And it's actually kind of an Ann Arbor story now that I think about it. I have children, I have two daughters, and we were, when they were younger, members of the Hands-On Museum, and uh, we should still be, so for everybody listening, yes, we should still be. (laughs) Um, But we were at a kids' museum in Miami, Florida, which is on family vacation, and we were standing there, and it was, you know, what's the entrance fee? We're on vacation. It was relatively expensive, if I remember right. It was like 60 bucks or something. And it's like, okay, it's vacation. Mm-hmm. It's going to spend money. Okay, get out my wallet. And somewhere in the back of my head was this like, wait, I think when I joined in, in Ann Arbor, they said something about reciprocity. And if I'm in a different museum, I can get some sort of discount. And like right before they swipe my credit card, I said, wait, I'm a member at the Ann Arbor Hands-On Museum. And they said, okay, then it's free. Just go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, $60. Like I had this like moment of, how come my phone couldn't pop up a message mm-hmm. as I walked in and say, hey, don't forget, just mention you're part of Ann Arbor Hands-On Museum and today's visit will be free and that would be high value for me. So the original version 1.0 of Larky was that. It was 
can we provide people with messages about memberships they have or associations that they belong to to help them get all the benefits of that membership? Mm -hmm. And it was kind of funky. We launched that. The version 1.0 launched and CNN uh, Financial rated us one of the 10 best apps of the year oh, because wow. they thought it was a financial savings thing. And Parade Magazine wrote about us and we were in all of these good housekeeping and these uh, magazines targeted towards different demographics yeah, than we thought we were going to. Uh, but there, it wasn't a business model. There were people downloaded it, people said nice things about it, but nobody was paying us any money for mm -hmm. this. And we kept thinking of these different angles of would an association pay us because we're helping show the value of their association. And we, we struggled with that for a long time. And then to answer your question about pivots, we were approached by somebody in the financial space that worked with credit unions. And they were very upfront with us and said, we think that there's a variation of what you're doing that would be helpful for credit unions but only if you're willing to change some things about mm -hmm. what you do. And so we listened and we started working really closely with them in 2014. And that was sort of the first pivot into the financial space. Uh, and were there more pivots? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you're gonna ask that question. <laughs> uh, so that was the pivot from, hey, we are directly consumer facing, tell us about your memberships, and we'll help you save money mm -hmm. to, hey, we work with financial institutions to help them build their relationships with their audience. And the I, would, I don't know if I'd call it a pivot. i call this one an evolution. You can disagree with me. Yeah. That's fine. But we just, in 2018, started to say the idea of having a separate app that does something is not as desirable. Right. And when you asked me the intro, we are really this toolkit now. Mm -hmm. And so the good news for us was we had 35, well, we have 35 plus clients in the bank space that did take us as a separate app. Mm -hmm. And they went back to their other technology providers that did their mobile banking app, the app that you guys, most people have that tells them their balance or they can deposit a check and said, hey, you know, we like this Larky thing. Could we get it as part of the mobile banking app? And so we built the toolkit to make it really easy. And then we started into these partnerships. Mm -hmm. And so where we are today is we have a really easy way for any of anyone who writes mobile apps to use this kind of technology. But we have partnerships with folks who provide I think we're in the thousands now, of mobile banking apps. Mm. So they have that technology available to their clients. Yeah, that's really cool. Hopefully. How much of that um, evolution and pivoting process would you say was strategic and intentional, and how much of it was experimental and accidental? Or how would you describe the dance between those two things? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, not as much of it is accidental, I would say. A lot of it's more strategic because I I'm not a coder, which people always are surprised. Like, wait, you have a software company, you have this mm -hmm. idea, but you don't know how to write the code. And so we can't afford for much to be accidental. I, I listen a lot. I talk to a lot of people. I was sort of front line of sales, so I heard the objections a lot. And I was the one who sort of synthesized that. But then we had to think strategically about what are people really saying and mm -hmm. what does this really mean and what should we do about that? And so when I think about the accidental side, I could say, no, in these conversations, it spontaneously came up that somebody had this idea, but that was you know, hundreds of spontaneous conversations, I right. guess. But it was the synthesis right. of those conversations of what are they really saying? What does this boil down mm. to that got us to where we are Yeah, now. that's cool. Yeah. So what does strategy look like for you or for your business company? As we've grown, it's changed. The answer to that question mm -hmm. has changed quite a bit. That you know, strategically now, you know, we, like a lot of early stage companies, started out in a bit of survival mode of, you know, what are we going to make it to the next thing? Now we have customers, we have partners. And so for us, a lot of strategy is thinking about how else can we serve those folks and what will the, sort of the next chapter of Larky mm -hmm. be and how will we evolve this? And, you know, some of it is very typical to business of what's the three-year plan, what's the one-year plan, what are the steps to get there, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses? But we work with folks both inside the company and outside the company to sort of help us refine that and make sure that we're heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. what, is the, what does the actual process look like? Is there a cadence to it? Um, there are, well, so new to us also, uh, in summer of 2019, we adopted a process that has some elements of uh, the sort of Rockefeller habits or entrepreneur uh, entrepreneur's guide i'm trying to think of a couple of different mm -hmm. names but it's none of those specifically it's mm -hmm. sort of a hybrid right. between them and so there's a cadence for all things nowadays we have our daily five minute huddle that's definitely not strategic but mm -hmm. it's the quick hits of what's going on and what are the key metrics for the business we have weekly management meetings 
we have quarterly strategic planning of what's going on and some of those strategic planning now we're starting into 2020 and what's happening mm -hmm. there so there's a cadence to it and for us you know i i don't think anybody loves meetings and the way i just described that somebody listening might think holy moly that sounds like a lot of meetings not me by the way <laughs> really yes. you oh, love no, meetings? That, that sound awesome yeah <laughs> well the thing that no that cadence yeah i'm not I mean, you know i'm definitely not selling it this is not you know my business to be in to do that but what it did change for us was it made everybody much more intentional about ad hoc meetings that it used to just right. be like, oh, I got this idea. Hey, do you got 20 minutes right. tomorrow? And now people tend to think more of like, okay, so is this something for the whole company in our five-minute meeting in the morning? Is this something for the management meeting next week? Is this right. for the monthly meeting? Is this for the quarterly meeting? And to make sure we capture it so we don't forget that idea, but that sort of that cadence and that sort of regularity, I think it's been really helpful for us. Mm -hmm. Has um, Have you grown as the company kind of people-wise grown? Yes, uh, for a couple of different reasons. We continue to add customers and partnerships, so that's good. We also did raise some funding in June of 2019, which uh, is helpful to growth, but we're, we're always cautious about growth. This is my th fourth venture I've been involved with, third one I've founded, and I've been more comfortable. People sometimes say this is a Midwest thing. I grew up in Michigan, so mm -hmm. has, that I've been more comfortable raising money not because we have to because we're out of money but with sort of a very uh, intentional this is the milestone we want to hit we want to get back to break even we're going to spend the money we raised that's mm -hmm. part of the plan but we're going to get to back to break even so we raised money enough to hire a few more people now we have sales goals we have to hit to get mm -hmm. back to a point where if we raise money again it's because we see another thing we can go for not because we have to raise money to stay in business yeah. i've also talked to potential investors who didn't seem to like that approach that much mm. they wanted I think they want a little more power in the relationship, hmm. and those aren't people that we work with right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, has what you've needed to do as a leader changed as the organization has grown? Definitely, and it's something I think about, and I don't know what the future will hold, to be bluntly honest about it, but what we were when there were two of us is different than what we were in five and we were 10, and the roles and responsibilities. I've always been wanting to be involved with lots of things. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the board, actually, the board of my company, when we were first starting to sell, and I would say, oh, we'll hire a salesperson, their response was, you need to be a salesperson, mm -hmm. not because we're cheap or we can't want to hire a salesperson, but because you need the feedback. Right. You're still running product and figuring out what's happening with that. We're not in a position yet where we can sort of assume that we know all the answers. We need you out there talking to people, mm -hmm. looking them in the eye and getting the answers on that. But as we grow, there have been things that are sort of required for me to give up and for other people to take on and responsibility for me to grow. I mean, someone wise said to me, you know, if the company grows 50% a year, you have to grow and the employees have to grow, not just in numbers, but in sort of what you're able to do and, mm -hmm. and take on. And if not, there's a reality that maybe somebody else should come in who can. And I don't, you know, this is a, a whole other conversation, but I know several entrepreneurs who started companies and took them to very great places and ended up with the company as it went public or exited. I know several entrepreneurs who self-identified and said, now's the time for me to be the chief technical officer or mm -hmm. to be the voice to the public, but we need to hire a professional CEO to do that. And I, I think those people actually worked with one of them. And part of the reason I worked with him, this was uh, a previous company, was because I admired so greatly his ability to sort of identify that what he's really good at got us to a certain point and we needed people to take us to the next point. Yeah. yeah. So, so what does that mean is in your future? We'll see if I we'll see how I grow. We'll see how I do. I um, I with this investment, we also had somebody join that uh, officially. He I guess his title he's not he's not a full time employee, but he identifies on LinkedIn as advisor to the CEO, and mm -hmm. so he works very closely with me and is helping me grow. And I actually think that's a really important thing for me. I know there are some entrepreneurs that, you know, there are investors that talk about, is this person coachable or not coachable? Does this person learn? I've always been more comfortable with a bunch of people around me that have good ideas and suggestions, and I've never felt like I know all the answers, and mm -hmm. I definitely don't know all the answers. So I like where we are now with somebody who's had a lot of business experience giving me good ideas and helping me grow the business, and I aspire to grow, but I'm also realistic that there may be a point where I'm not the right guy to do this, yeah. and that's okay. Um, so I, right before you said that, I was going to ask, how do you engage that growth, that personal growth process? You described some of that. Are there any other pieces to it? I think a lot of it, uh, people have said before that being an entrepreneur is lonely, and I 
didn't always see that. Mm. I had business partners in some of my business, so I think I sort of blew that off. I was like, oh, no, it's not lonely. I can just <laughs> hang out with him. That's good. <laughs> but in some ways, it really is. If you're a solo entrepreneur, even if you've got a staff, you can't have the conversations with all of those people the same way that you would with a peer or, would or someone who's been through it. So now that we, I have this person working with me very closely, he's one of many people that I talk to. We have board, we have investors, we have other folks in the community that it's very helpful to chat with them and understand how what they've been through and what mm -hmm. they saw as helpful growth for them and things that they learned along the way because there's a lot of really smart people that have yeah. been through a lot. How much of your past experience in the other um, companies that you started and ran, um, how much of that experience are you bringing into your current work? And like, what are some of the things that you have carried with you? I know there's a lot there. So. There's a lot there. Um, I'm going to go back even further than that. I went to engineering school and probably shouldn't have. Mm. Uh, I wasn't a particularly strong engineer. In fact, by the time I was a junior in engineering school, I knew I was not going to be an yeah. engineer. Um, but my parents pretty wisely said, why don't you finish that degree? Because, you know, you're three quarters of <laughs> the way there. So I did. Uh, but what I feel like I learned in that experience was in times where it seemed like there was no way to get to an answer, keep going because you can't turn in a blank piece of paper when you're in college. Mm -hmm. So keep working on it, keep trying it, keep you know taking another stab at it, trying a different angle. That's probably my life lesson even before I started mm -hmm. the business that was, you know, I can't give up. There's got to be another answer. So that's the that's one thing that I've carried forward since college is just persistence. Mm -hmm. And um, my maybe a little too far, the books I read, the things I like, a lot of the sort of non-work books are really stories of people's persistence. Uh, so uh, you know, Shackleton and the exploration yeah. game, the ship, like my LinkedIn profile picture is, well, my profile picture is me, but the background is Shackleton and the men pulling the ship wow. through the ice. Cause like that kind of persistence and like not giving up is a core thing to me. But you know, thinking about my other businesses, persistence is a theme, but there's always, uh, I had a, boss actually when I first finished grad school here I worked for a company and he had a couple of things that I, I took with me one of them was always meet that was he had a thing that <laughs> when people called and said hey I want to talk to you about this thing he was very rarely turning down those things he, yeah, he wasn't right. wasting his time but to have the discussion with people about you know what are you what are you thinking about and how are you thinking we could work together was something he valued highly and I, I tried to take that one forward that's mm -hmm. obviously across businesses I've found that you know partnerships are really, really more important than I ever understood, mm. that the people that you work with to provide technology to them or to you and the, the, the relationships that you have are critical with other companies. And the days, I think, of sort of doing it on your own or building it alone are way behind us. Right. That's just not feasible anymore. So that's carried over from organization to organization. And just a little bit of you're not going to know all the answers and you have to dive in. And I think that's pretty uncomfortable for mm -hmm. some people. So my first experience starting a business, you know, you're, you're writing the business plan, you're coming up with financial projections and you're thinking, how could I do And the answer is you don't know right. and you have to guess. And then you have to look at what's actual three months in or six months in and adjust what you estimated and make right. it true up to the world. But nobody actually expects you to know. I, and that was a surprise to me when I started talking to potential investors that they said, we're not looking for a plan that is like, you know, right. We're looking for a plan that makes logical sense mm -hmm. to show that the entrepreneur is like thinking about things. If you say you're going to be, you know, $100 million business in a year, that'd be great, but mm -hmm. probably not. Yeah. We were going to think like you're not really rational about this. So that's what we're looking for in this thing. So there, there's always more that we're learning. Is there, are there parts of conventional business wisdom that, um, you know, that you found not to be right? I think uh, two things stand out. One is, I felt like when I was getting my education, my undergrad was engineering, my grad was MBA, business stuff, it felt like there was a um, understanding in the world that business is not creative, that you know, creating a business or having an idea, that's creative. Mm. But the actual structure of running a business is more like a science. And what I've learned and the, the misconception is it's actually there's a lot of room for creativity. Mm. I mean, especially negotiations and partnerships, which I was just talking about the importance of that whole idea of like, well, how could we work together? Mm -hmm. And it's not always just, you know, trading money for services. Sometimes it's what are the other things that you need? And the first sort of mentor I worked with, a guy, uh, Dr. Carlos Zuria, he's since moved to Chicago, but he was uh, incredibly influential in my first business out of college. I always marveled at, you know, he was a Stanford MBA, super smart guy. And the thing that I valued most about his 
input into our business was he always had these creative answers. Mm. He always like listen and think like, okay, they want to do that and you guys want to do this. Mm. Well, what about if you did it this way mm-hmm. together? Does that meet both of your needs? And I just always felt like nobody thinks about the, or I didn't hear a lot about, I should say, the importance of creativity in coming up with new solutions. So that's one. The other one that's, I probably take it harder than I should as an entrepreneur is the misconception of uh, if you do a startup, you're either going to be, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and three years later, you're going to be a billionaire or you're out of business in six weeks. And there's an awful lot of companies like mine that it's taken years. Mm -hmm. We've gotten to a place where we have clients, we have references, we're growing, there's exciting things happening, but it, it doesn't happen as fast, I think, as Mm -hmm. people think for entrepreneurs. And so, uh, the people listening to this, I hope that that's sort of comforting to mm-hmm. them. And yeah, I've heard the quote several times of you know, people being congratulated for their overnight success and them sort of snapping yeah. back and saying, yeah, my overnight success took 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, thanks a lot. But, you know, it, it takes time. So and when did Larky start? Uh, our first products were 2013. So it's been six years, six okay. and a half years. And um, in the that time, how many like dark, dark episodes were there? <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> Where you're kind of close to the brink oh, or yeah. whatever the right. Oh, yeah. I mean, too too many to count. Yeah. I mean, oh, okay. so, so dark episodes come in a few different flavors, right? right. So um, in Larky, there's never been, let's see, at another company, a dark episode included someone saying they were going to sue us. That has mm-hmm. never been a thing with Larky at all. But that was a dark day that I remember thinking, oh, God, we're done. Dark days for Larky were cash concerns before mm-hmm. we had customers. And you're thinking... I, we need to make sure we can make payroll. Those are really, really tough days. Dark days have been sort of hopelessness of, you know, are we are we going to make it? Are we going to get this through? And not just the cash part, but like, are we on to the right thing? And, you know, for me, it's incredibly invigorating now that we have this sort of integrated toolkit and we've got something that the market has told us they wanted and we're mm-hmm. getting partnerships. But before we sort of had that path of what are our next steps forward, I would meet with other people on my team and sort of say, hey, what are our next good ideas? But it was, those, those were some dark days mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah. So, and what's your style for dealing with that? <laughs> uh, that's a tough question. My mm-hmm. style for dealing with that, um, I don't know if this is a, a good answer, but I will just say things tend to look better in the morning. Hmm. So I've learned, at least at this point in my life, I, I used to think, I'll just stay up late and drink a lot of Mountain Dew and you know, I'll figure it out. And that never made me very happy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times now, I, on the darkest days, I could go to bed very early at like you know eight or whatever. Yeah. And just like, leave me alone. I wake up in the morning like, okay, so here's the things right. we got going for us. It just helped me sort of sort things out that. a bit. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah. It, wor- it works for me. Um, and then you know I have learned in this community – there are people who've been through it. And so like there's an entrepreneur here, I definitely will not name names, but he sold the company successfully for a hundred million plus and he had investors and he didn't get all that money, but it was a successful venture. But what the world didn't know is it took him, I think it was like 15 years or 20 mm-hmm. years and he had several dark days and he told me stories about, every year it was Christmas time and he always said to his wife, I can't do this for another year. There's no way. It's not working. It's growing too slow. And she would say, well, you know, why don't you give it one year and see what happens next year? And so, you know, during my dark days, being able to sort of sit down with some people like that and say, here's what's, you know, it's miserable and here's why. And have them go, well, I, I felt the same way, but it worked out okay. Yeah. And that's helpful to me. But it's it's a small community. It's not, mm. not in a bad way, but it's just hard to get to know people that you can have those types of conversations with. It right. wasn't day one when I started Larky to think, okay, here's the 12 people I can call if I mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. have those conversations. I'm going to stay dark for just one, <laughs> one more question, and then we'll leave Jeez. it. Uh, and that is, what's the hardest part of running a business? Dramatic pause. Um <laughs> I'm not sure if I've got one thing that's the hardest part of running a business. It, it's funny because one of the things that popped into my mind, so I'll speak about it for a moment, is as a small company, there's a lot of different responsibilities on you. So, you know, in any given day, you're reviewing contracts, looking at financials, doing sales, dealing with happy customers, dealing with unhappy customers, trying to hire somebody, trying to keep the team going. But that's also what I love about starting mm-hmm. a business. So it's sort of a right. weird, like sometimes the pressure feels like it's like too much of like, I got to do right. this. And sometimes you sort of feel like, I didn't go to law school. What do I know about contracts? I'm not a you know CPA. What do I know about this? But it's also very energizing to me. And mm-hmm. I feel very lucky. I have you know friends that 
did more of traditional career paths in the industry and they're really good at one thing but they don't ever get a chance to look at those others i don't i don't know if the hardest it was some days it, it feels a little overwhelming well, my next question was, what's the best part of running a business? <laughs> so you wrapped it all together. Is there anything that you didn't cover that, you know, you really like about it? I do like, so, you know, my career we didn't talk a ton about, but so I, you know, I went to undergrad at Michigan for engineering. I started a company straight out of engineering. I went to business school, and then I worked for an early stage company. And so, and I guess, sorry, the company I sold out of engineering, or I, I started out of engineering school, we sold, and so I worked for a big public company for 18 months or so. So, but my experiences working for other people have been sort of limited. It was that 18 months with the company that bought us. It was, actually, it was three years with the company I started working for out of grad school. And so when I compare, you know, what I'm doing now to those experiences work for someone else, the thing that's most meaningful to me is having some control over the our destiny. Mm -hmm. I always, it's a strange conversation to me to talk to people like, wow, you know, that's brave that you did a startup or you're working at this early stage company. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. I work for GM. You mm -hmm. think, well, you know, GM killed off like Saturn. Like, yeah. did those people know that that was coming? They don't have control yeah. over it. And I have had several friends and they, they found other homes, but that worked for big established companies. And then one day they didn't. And mm -hmm. that happens in the industry. So I think the sort of visibility and the control and the responsibility that if something goes sideways, I, I made it go sideways or I tried to recover from it, but it's not just some anonymous person in an office a thousand miles away that decided to shut down a division for reasons I had no control yeah. over. So. Um, so so going back to that startup out of college, yeah. um, what was the motivation for that? Uh, so that story, uh, I was in engineering school. I, my specific area of study was material science, so I was supposed to be a specialist in metals, ceramics, and polymers. Uh -huh. And as many of us did when we were 20 years old with that kind of education, we thought, materials, I could like be the guy that figures out the next materials for mountain bikes or for skis, and mm. that's all really cool, but what it really was was like steel manufacturing and like uh -huh. not as exciting, sexy stuff. So I did one interview on campus, and it was with, a steel manufacturing company, and they offered me a second interview in Burns Harbor, Indiana, which is one of those towns that you drive past on the way to Chicago, which I'm sure mm -hmm. is nice, but I remember thinking, I'm like bachelor, 21-year-old, straight out of college. I don't picture myself working in a steel factory as an engineer, and I had this idea. I had had an internship at Steelcase Office Furniture in Grand Rapids, and there was a pain point that I identified and thought, well, somebody could solve this problem. And I will always credit my parents and thank my parents that I vividly remember them sitting me down and saying, you have an engineering degree from University of Michigan. That, that's something you'll always have. You don't have a wife. You don't have kids. You don't have house. You don't have car payment. If you're going to try to start something, now is the perfect time. Hmm. Best case scenario, you know, it could work out. Worst case scenario, it wasn't a very expensive startup, but you might lose a few thousand dollars and you'll have to apply for a job and they'll say, well, what have you been doing for the last year? And you'll mm -hmm. say, well, I tried to start a company. Here's what I tried to do. Here's mm -hmm. what I learned from it. And that's not actually that bad. Mm -hmm. And I, now that I'm a parent and have kids that aren't quite in college yet, but will be, I think, wow, you know, spending tuition dollars for four years and then looking at your kid and saying, oh, if you don't want to use any of that right <laughs> now, <laughs> you just want to start a company not super related to the thing I just paid for for four years, go for it, yeah. is um, something I'm very thankful for. Yeah, that's cool. Um, did you have a partner in that I venture? I did. I had another engineering friend who was in a very similar situation. So can you talk a little bit about what you've learned about working with a partner? So, yes. Uh, it's... It, it has been awesome and challenging, mm -hmm. to be blunt about it. Um, my partner, when I started the first company, there were actually three of us, and we were all in engineering school together, and we all had similar feelings about not being excited about going to steel manufacturing. Mm -hmm. uh, and very quickly, one of the three of us went a separate way. Mm -hmm. And we're all actually good friends still, but it, it's rough. And you sort of are looking at the outcomes of you know, that company. We, we did end up selling it. And so two out of three of us got paychecks for mm -hmm. you know, doing that. And the other one, he actually works for a GM now and he's doing fine and mm -hmm. all that, but he's not part of that. And there's a little bit of a challenging situation. But right. I think back more to your question, on the good side, at that first company, when there were we went from three to two, the two of us really divided responsibilities. There was I had more of a technical and sort of finance background, so I could do that. My partner was more sort of sales and business development relationships, so he could do that. 
and we were a good team that way. Didn't always get along. Didn't always mm -hmm. agree on things. We definitely, man, we used to um, be pretty vocal about our disagreements, but we were very good friends. And mm -hmm. so we, we could like not really scream at each other, but sort yeah. of have um, lively disagreements. Yeah. And then like, hey, you want to get a beer and get dinner and like yeah. not think twice about it. And then we started hiring staff. And so there were like five or six people in a big open office and we were having one of those discussions and they like, we sort of looked out and we realized they were all staring at us like, <laughs> Oh my God, these guys are going to kill each other. And then we just sort of went on with our like, Hey, should we get a beer now? And they all were like, what just happened? This is wow. the weirdest thing. So we learned to like, you know, go for walks and talk about things instead of screaming at each other. But it's also, you know, the, the benefit of having someone else to share those discussions with, to divide and conquer tasks. That's all super helpful it's tough when you don't agree on things. It's really tough to figure out how do we compromise? Cause you know, it's a passion that you think that we're going to make this thing successful. And you think that your idea is the, the way to do it. And there's, it feels very risky. If you're convinced that the best mm -hmm. way to do it is to go right. And they're saying, no, 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 we should go left. It's really not comfortable to say, well, let's just go straight. Right. Cause that's not the right. answer you wanted anyways. And it's sometimes hard to say, well, let's go your way for a week and then go my way. That doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. And, it was, there were tough impasses to go over to the point where, you know, just to be candid about it all, when I started Larky, I started with the same partner that I did my first company with, and he's no longer actively involved with Larky. And mm -hmm. we're friends and see each other, but he's not a partner in the business anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you figured out a way to navigate those times when you didn't agree in some form or fashion. It, definitely. Figure it out. Yeah, definitely did but there's no other choice <laughs> than yeah. to do that and it's not you know there there's a respect for each other and so we're trying to figure out the adult and diplomatic ways to do it but you know in it's hard to know we both want the same thing we want the business to be successful and have a good time doing it we want to provide for our families and our staff and you know when you sort of think about we have the same goal we may not know or think that it's the same way to get there. That kind of helps understand mm -hmm. the framing of it. We're mm -hmm. not trying to out to get each other or anything, but it's really hard to figure out what's the best way. So for a while, I remember thinking, well, we should get like a, a coach or somebody to help us sort mm -hmm. through these things. And we did with our first company and it was helpful, but you also realize you can't do that with every little decision. Right. Like you can't, you know, it's not their job to sort out everything that needs to be done. So it be a challenge. So many people are conflict averse. That doesn't sound like the challenge that you guys had as a partnership. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I always think it's interesting when I go in uh, to a new client to see how the personality, the leadership style of the leader gets propagated out and turned into culture in yeah. the rest of the business. Yeah. So can you talk about um, what does that conflict, your potentially, um, this may be an oversimplification, but your, your comfort with conflict how does that play out as a cultural value in the business as a whole? And do you intentionally do anything around that or not? It's I've shifted, I think, a little bit on this subject in the past, even the past year or two, that I'm not afraid of conflict. Like I was talking about with my past business partner. I, see that. I don't. But what I've come to realize is, I mean, and this is there's been books written about this that know in meetings if there's not conflict then somebody's not saying what they really feel mm -hmm. and really to get to the best idea there has to be a difference of opinions and talking through it and sorting it out and so we try now when we have this new cadence of meetings and this new rhythm to sort of not introduce maliciously conflict but make sure that everybody's saying what they think and understand like we want to have these discussions we mm -hmm. want to have the best ideas going we don't want just somebody presenting here's my idea and everyone saying yeah that sounds great right. and so we try for a culture of Everybody, you know, say what you think, figure this out, we convince each other if you think that it's one of the But then there also has to be leadership. There has to be somebody that makes the call, and mm -hmm. there has to be this sort of agreement that, okay, we're all going to say our piece, but in the end, nobody's going to sort of hold a grudge and say, well, I didn't want that. We're not going to do it. We have to agree that as a team, we're going to go forward with this thing. And that that can be challenging for folks that, you know, they're sort of putting their heart out, heart out there and saying, here's why I think we should do it this way. And then in the end, Sometimes it isn't that way. Right. I think there are a lot of people listening to this that um, need to or are trying to increase the amount of conflict, constructive conflict in their business. So what does, you said we work hard to, you know, to make sure that we're doing that. How do you do that? Sometimes it's as simple as like we're trying to think of uh, 
a solution to a problem. And instead of just having a discussion or having somebody like, hey, Dave, tell us what you think. It's everybody write down three ideas. Now write them down on the whiteboard. And you know that people aren't just sort of convalescing to someone else's mm -hmm. idea. It's like, well, you wrote down this and this, but you wrote down that. And, uh, you know, having sort of the forced, uh, taking away the ability for someone just to say, yeah, I was thinking that too, or that was mm -hmm. my, so sometimes it's as simple as that and sort of the blind uh, input into a discussion or problem. Sometimes it's, uh, actually a lot of times it's different forms of that now that I think about different mm -hmm. people prioritizing in different ways or bringing things into a discussion before they hear other people's point of mm -hmm. views to make sure, and finding a, a way to preserve that. Like forcing people to generate their own opinion before they get into the conversation. And to record it in some way. It could be on a scrap uh -huh. of paper, but so there's no risk of them saying, yeah, me too. They're yeah. like, no, that, yeah. that's not what I thought. And part of it is also, you know, and again, this isn't, uh, I don't take any credit for this. These are other techniques from other people's meetings and books and other people learned along the way, but very little of our meetings are reporting meetings. Mm -hmm. We have weekly reports yeah. that, you know, I got this done, I sold that deal, I talked to this person, that's all great. And so part of, I think, the answer to your question is our meetings are set up, not necessarily as conflict, but to discuss things that are challenging. Right. They're not, they're, when we meet on Monday morning, it's not to say, I got this done last week, I had that to get done, and say, that's great, it's, you know, what are the things you're struggling with and what are my ideas to help you solve that and what are your ideas and let's figure it out. So I think by nature that reduces the time we spend just all agreeing and smiling at mm -hmm. each other to say, like, this is a challenge. Yeah. So maybe it's not conflict, but it's a challenge and it's different ideas how to solve that challenge. Do you have a management team that's participating in some of these meetings and, and other staff that aren't? Or is it still kind of all company at this we point? We do, but I'm not... Uh, it feels weird to me to be blunt about it. Mm -hmm. We have some of the the meetings in that cadence that are all team meetings, definitely quarterly, actually monthly and quarterly meetings. But there's a management team. But we're a small company, so like mm -hmm. half the company is the management team. But it's <laughs> we're a small company that's growing, and so the sort of the structure is in place. Right. So one of the people on the management team is the salesperson that we hired to take on sales. I hope, and it's in our plan that he will have a couple salespeople working under him right. in the next you know twelve to eighteen months, and the structure is there for that. But until now, it's sort of silly in a way that, like, yeah. he's on the management team, and he's the guy doing the sales calls, and he's that, but it will, will grow into it, I think. It's silly, but very intentional that you want to create the foundation now for future growth. Yeah. Because a lot of times there's the, well, we are optimized for the business that we've had over the last six months or 12 months, but right. we're still have room to grow for the future. Yeah. Um, are you... Um, are you actively managing talent at this point? I think talent management in a startup is kind of like sink or swim. You know, you either survive or you don't, but as a company grows, there starts to be a need to in more intentionally do things around that. We're uh, we're starting to, we could and should be doing more as we grow. Mm -hmm. We're not, we don't do a ton of talent management to be blunt about it. I think the thing that we've realized and as people grow, there's a difference in philosophy, right? So everyone, oftentimes people want to learn new skills, new things. Sometimes they don't. That mm -hmm. was a shocking learning to me. My first company, we had a really great software engineer. And as we grew and we hired more software people, my assumption without ever asking him was that he wanted to develop as a leader and be the person mm -hmm. that hired the other people and trained them and figured out what they would do and manage them and help them with their careers. And I drove that way with him. And then one day he looked at me, he's like, I don't want to manage anybody. I like coding software mm -hmm. and I want to code software. <laughs> Can you find somebody else to do that garbage? And I just hadn't thought about it. I, I, it was blind to like what my aspirations are and how I see my career growth and my learning and my growth is not how he, his growth to him was learning a new coding language and learning right. new techniques, which is awesome. But, you know, sort of identifying that is, is an important thing. But, you know, as we grow, the other thing that we, we look at now that it's a little bit different is, there are definite strengths and definite weaknesses among everybody, myself included. And we're getting, I think, a little bit better about sort of not trying to always get people to overcome their weaknesses, mm -hmm. but to sort of say, hey, that's not something that person's real great at, but mm -hmm. they're really good at these things. Let's have them do more of that and mm -hmm. figure out someone else to do that mm -hmm. other part of it. Maybe we have to hire somebody or maybe it's part of someone else's job. But I think we used to spend more time on how can we get them to be better at this one thing as opposed to saying they're really good at this other thing, let's have them do more of that and figure out another resource to do that other thing. To what extent is that shift um, reliant on having the resources to find an alternative? It's, I mean, it's, that's a very real question. When we 
we're trying to figure out how to make payroll, right? right <laughs> it's right. hard to say, oh, we'll just find someone else to do that thing. We're not. You know, we didn't raise tens of millions of dollars. We don't have unlimited resource. But that is a reality of it. But sometimes it's just shifting from one person to the other that it's saying, yeah. you know, hey, it seems like you'd like to do more of this and less of that, and the other person wants to. So sometimes you have the ability to do it. And sometimes it's figuring out that there are some outsourced solutions to do things that are not very expensive. Mm. And that was eye-opening to us that a couple of times something that we were struggling with and a person was working out, but they weren't doing a very good job for a couple hundred bucks a month. Right. You know, not tons of money, but we found a solution out there in the world that you'd sort of say, let's stop stressing about this and yeah. beating everyone <laughs> up about it and trying to figure out how we're going to do it and just pay a few hundred dollars. But you know, money's always a very tight commodity. Right, right. I want to talk about the bookends of talent. So first, um, do you do anything special or different with your high potentials? I mean, we try to give everybody, so, I, so high potential is an interesting phrasing, right? So how do you identify high potentials and how do you know? And like, I always love the stories of people who started out in one place in a, in a company and then rose up to be. So I, I feel like it's unfair of me to say this person's high potential and that person's mm-hmm. not. I feel like what we try to do is pretty quickly get to that. What are you good at? What are you interested in? What do you not want to do? What are you not good at? And Honestly, there's some stuff that we just need to do. And so mm-hmm. I'm sorry you don't want right. to do that. Yeah, please do it anyway. <laughs> but you know, giving people the opportunity to shine, anybody the opportunity to shine in a certain area. So you know, we're getting into more of uh, regulatory and compliance stuff because the banks that we work with, and we realize that somebody we hired in, not in a very high, de- she probably wouldn't be traditionally identified as high potential, but really good with detail-oriented things. And as we talked about compliance, we were like, who would be the best person or where should we go to? It's like, that person has really shown that they have incredible talent for figuring out every detail and make sure every I is dotted and every T is crossed. When it comes to compliance, that's it. So I'm, I'm reluctant to identify who is, who isn't. We try, one of you know the things about how we run is we have goals for the company. Those kind of roll down to, you know, hey, this is what we're trying to do this quarter or this year. What can you do to contribute to this? And putting it on each person to sort of set goals. And, and there's checks and balances there. We're not just letting people say, you know, my goal is to show up most days and mm-hmm. brush my teeth half the days. <laughs> and, you know, we have sort of a, a level setting of what's a real goal for the quarter. And sometimes people err too high that they're going to save the world in a quarter. and That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But we really want to give everyone the room to try to achieve what they think they can and give them the tools to do it and make it something that's important to the company and that's recognized by the company and let them succeed. Um, that um, willingness to take ownership of uh, what they're responsible for, yeah. do, you, do you have part of your hiring process um, check for that or cover that? I've never felt like the right uh, that I know the right way to hire people. I'll just say that right here. You know, it's recorded, all that. I, I find it's really hard. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody's acting, right? You as an as a company's acting. You're putting on a face for you know, this person that you want to recruit. They're putting on a face for you. Our most successful hiring has been with software professionals because we can work with them. We In the past, we've, I'm trying to think of everybody who works with us, did some sort of project that we paid them for. That's something that we really needed as a company, but we also want to see how they worked. Mm-hmm. And we always said, you probably want to see how we work too. And we paid them some money to do something we needed and we all understood what it'd be like to work together and we could. But for non-technical hires, it's really hard to get honest answers. I, I haven't found the way to get honest answers out of people. One of the other things that I believe in, I don't know, I'm looking at our, our sort of agenda and thinking, I don't know where this fits in, but is you, you have to make thoughtful decisions across the company, but you can't take too long to do it. And mm-hmm. so hiring, you know, there is a, competitive labor market and if you have a series of six interviews and three projects and 14 reference checks people will go elsewhere and so you kind of need to say like we're going to take a leap together and and do this yep yep uh how about underperformers how do you deal with that situation that is a tough situation and what we have dealt with at the companies that i've worked for i think you know one of the other things about the way we've run the companies is everything's very transparent when I talked about the goals a minute ago, mm-hmm. there is literally a shared Google Doc that's, here's goals, every person from me, well, every person, everybody in the company, me and everyone else, here's where I stand on these goals for the quarter, and things get identified, and not in a malicious way, it's just sort of, hey, you know, if somebody is not hitting any of their goals for multiple quarters in a row, and we've adjusted those to make sure they're realistic goals, and we've given them the support, 
everybody kind of understands where this is headed and the employee included. So we've had a couple of people that resigned before we did anything. And we've had a couple that we had to say, look, you know, it doesn't seem like you're able to achieve the things that you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like it's a fit. And that's never an easy conversation or a fun conversation, but it's an, an obvious one for lack of a better word. Right. You know, one of my things I want to make sure is nobody's surprised. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely not a surprise when it's like, hey, the last <laughs> two quarters, here's been what you've been looking to do, and here's what's actually happened, and it's not going the way you want to go. Because nobody feels good about missing goals either. I've yet to work with somebody who said, here, here's mm-hmm. my big three goals for four goals for the quarter, and I haven't achieved any of them three quarters in a row. <laughs> We're killing it. No, nobody yes. wants to be that. Um are there any other observations that you had as you were thinking about this conversation that you thought you would um, would be interesting for us to cover? Possibly, but now I have to look at my notes <laughs> just to, to see. Uh, and I think it's, it's going back to a point that I was talking about a, a minute ago, but the idea that you, you kind of do got to get moving. And as I think about mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, there is a risk of sort of not getting started. And a lot of times people come to me i uh i should just say this and on record i'm always happy to hear people's ideas i'm not going to tell you i'm the wisest person but mm-hmm. i always love sitting down and having a beer talking to somebody about what they're working on and telling them if there's anything i can be helpful and more often than not it ends up with me introducing them to somebody else mm-hmm. who's in that industry but the theme that i feel when i talk to a lot of people is they're not doing it quite yet and it's always like this question of like I know money's a tight resource and you've got your day job and you've got your kids, mm-hmm. or you've got whatever else there is, but what's like the little step you mm-hmm. could take to see if this is real? And I think there's too much hesitation around that. And for like Larky, you asked about pivots and pivots or changes in direction. That's all because we launched something and then we got feedback right. from the real world. We could have waited another 12 months and maybe we would have gotten it more right or maybe less right. I don't know, but I, I, I think I'm convinced that you really never know until you're mm-hmm. actually in market. There's a, a entrepreneur in town that, He'd said something to me that as the years gone by, I've realized he was really wise. It's like, if you have a new idea and you'd call, you know, say it's an automotive related idea, we're in that part of the world, right? And you talk to, you've got some contacts in the auto industry and you call them and you say, hey, I want to talk with you about my new idea. A very high percentage of them will probably meet with you because, mm-hmm. you know, your day job is sitting here working on your stuff. You get like an hour to talk to somebody about a new idea. That, <laughs> that sounds cool. Let's do that. And a really high percentage of those people will tell you they're excited about it because they probably are because it's different and it's unique and you've thought of something novel and that's great. But the sort of gap between the like, I'll meet with you, I'll tell you I'm excited about it and I will write you a check for it. Mm -hmm. There's an immense drop off there. And so you only find out the I will write you a check for this thing when you have something that you can try to say, Hmm. okay, we're ready. You said you were interested. It costs $87 or $87 million. Are you going to buy it or not? And that's the thing that I think people need to really get something started and get moving. How much of that um, has to be natural and baked in to the person and the personality and their character uh, and how much of it can be learned? Hmm. I've never sort of thought of myself as someone who is sort of like out there. I sort Hmm. of think of myself as someone who'd like to have like all my ducks in a row before I present to the world. But I don't when I do this stuff. <laughs> and you have to get out there or you had to get out there the first time. Um, I actually have always sort of faulted or thought more about the education process and sort of the, the mystique around entrepreneurial stuff. I've always mm-hmm. sort of, I've never thought about it as like a personality trait. I've thought about it more as a learning or people hear or people understand that it's got to be perfect before you release it to the world. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you do, ha- you're onto something there. I think that some people are less comfortable or more comfortable mm-hmm. sort of presenting their ideas, but get over it and do it. <laughs> So what are you most excited about for the next, what, year, five years? Whatever, whichever time whichever you time can time. talk about. I'm excited about the sort of dynamic nature of what we're doing now. So I'm going to answer your question in terms of business because there's always mm-hmm. the risk that I'm, you know, life and wife and kids. Yeah, and all right. stuff. So I'm going to just answer, like, what are you most excited <laughs> about about the business right now? Thank you. So, yeah, I don't want to get in trouble. Uh so the dynamic nature of it that we are, our product has evolved, our clients have evolved, our staff has evolved, the way we run the company has evolved. And I think for me, I'm not comfortable with sort of static things. I need it to keep moving. And you know, we just hired a new person in sales. We just hired two software engineers and they're really good and really talented. And I like the place that we're in where they're like, here's what I did because this is, I know what the company is trying to do for the quarter and this is what I'm trying to do for the quarter and I got this thing done and less direction and input from me is a good thing. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting. That sounds cool. 
Um, so I want to try something out, mostly because I can't think of anybody else that I could have this conversation with, but I hear all the things that you described about running a small business and being in small business, and that's what hockey is to me. Um, Interesting. It's this awesome combination of chaos and structure, um, and I know that uh, the reason that I come back to hockey for 30 years now is because what I love about what I find in business, which is all the stuff that you have just described, I find on the ice time and time and time again, except every game is a startup. And so you start with this kind of <laughs> zero zero scoreboard. Yeah. And sometimes it's three nothing within five minutes. And sometimes it's zero zero as you get into the last five minutes. Yeah. And all kinds. So, so there's this kind of, um, R uh, experience that's very similar to a small business right there on the ice. Um, so, so what do you think of that? I've not heard or thought about that comparison before. That's interesting. I will, and you I don't can have see to it. agree. No, no, uh, I can see it, but I it's just funny because uh, you know we played hockey together for a bunch of years, and then we don't play hockey as much together now. I'm trying to remember if you went to the other league or not. No. You're still in there. Yeah. But I I stopped playing as much early 2019. And I think that one of the main reasons was I got frustrated that I wasn't getting any better. Mm -hmm. And I didn't deserve to get any better, to be mm -hmm. honest. It's not like I'm out there hitting tennis balls against my garage like I did when I was 14. Right. Or I'm going to open ice and doing stuff. Right. But I found it uh, frustrating. That's not a really better word for it. Yeah. To be doing the same thing over and over again. And I think with business, I feel like just the 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 um, procedure of it, the daily uh, exercise of it, you do get better and mm -hmm. you kind of have another choice. But I think you could push back on that and say, you know, you told me you're reading these books and you've got this coach and you've got that. Like, right, if right, you did right. the same thing in like, hockey, you'd probably get a little bit better at that too. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's true. I think what you described is, you know, we all have limitations on the time and energy that we have in our lives. Yeah. For me, good enough still is an interesting experience. Yeah. But, um, but I feel that inside of me and i haven't really shared it with anyone so i figured if i'm going to on air anyway <laughs> you're the right guy to do it with yeah um so if you ever want to come back uh, and I, you, and I, it's appealing in any way that i have not I sold my equipment i still have my <laughs> stuff i'd like to come back and it, it, i hope that i will yeah it's just yeah. a little brutal in ann arbor for the games that start on one day and end on the next <laughs> that's a little tough that doesn't always go super well with the uh the business, the day job. Exactly. That is sort of tough. Right. Well, fascinating story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us, Greg. Um, if people do want to get in touch with you or find out more about Larky, where should they go? I always welcome outreach from people in the community. Um, Larky.com, L-A-R-K-Y.com, no E. Sometimes people like to put an E oh, in there, L-A-R-K-Y. And I'm Greg, and Greg at Larky.com hey. will get directly to me. So feel free if there's ever anything I can do to help. I always feel like you know we are in a community, a special community, and Michigan is my community, Ann Arbor is my community, entrepreneurs are my community, and like I said, I don't have, definitely do not have all the answers, but I sometimes know some people that might have better answers mm -hmm. than me, and I'm always happy to chat, and if I can help, help, and if I can introduce you to someone else who can help more, do that, so nice. yeah, anyone who wants to, feel free to reach out. All right. Well, good luck with that stuff, and thanks a lot, Greg. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to Spark That Grow, a podcast series brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark. To learn more about Spark, visit annarborusa.org. And thank you to the Ann Arbor District Library as our recording partner. You can learn more about their resources at aadl.org.